Just Thinking with hosts Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker, bringing you week-to-week cultural apologetics as well as social issues from a biblical worldview. This is Just Thinking. Let's think. We're back. It's another edition of the Just Thinking Podcast. I am Virgil Walker. And I am Daryl Harrison. What you know, Oma? <laughs> We're back, man. It's, it's good to be back, man. How you feeling? You know what, man? Speaking of being back, do you remember um, that hip-hop duo Eric B. and Rakim? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to listen to that. You know, Rakim had a joint where he said, it's been a long time. I yeah, shouldn't have left, you, left you without a dope without beat a dope to step beat to. Step to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, so it's right. been a long time, man. It's been a long time yeah. since, since we got together and on a new episode. And here yeah. we are. Today's, we're recording this episode on Sunday, February 24th, 2019. And wow, when was our last a new episode that we recorded. It's been close to three months, I think. I don't think it's been. Has it been on the, that long on the, for for a new episode? Let's see. Yeah, it's uh, been close to two months. It's been yeah, closer to two months. two months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so it's, it's been closer it's, to two months. Yeah, it's it's been a minute, man. It feels great to be back. feels feels good to to get on the mic and and you know run through ran through a lot of things. G three, you know, you you had to get settled in. But we're we're back and. Picking up right where we left off, man. I know you don't want to spend a ton of time, you know, dealing with that. But man, I, I think we'd be remiss not to let the listeners know at least where where we've been and kind of kind of that whole piece. But uh, man, I, you know, G three was great. It was great to see a lot of the a lot of the fans of the show and and experience that. Man, it was amazing uh, and humbling uh, to be honest with you, man. Mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. to see how many people uh, listen to the show and and you know all the great things that they had to say about how they're how they're being edified and how they're growing and and so man just wanted definitely wanted wanted to share that with you and got uh, while we were there took a bunch of pictures and sent them your way and let just let folks know how much we appreciate them their listening and uh how, how humbling it was to experience all that man so what, what about you well this is the second year i had to miss g3 yeah and the interesting thing is is that g3 is right there held every year in my hometown of uh, atlanta and but this time I had to miss it because you know I was transitioning out of Atlanta, moving all the way out here to L.A., which is where I am now, Southern California, uh, in Valencia, where I live now. I took on a a role uh, with Grace to You, uh, the uh, preaching and teaching ministry of uh, John MacArthur, and uh, as uh, the role in the role here of dean of social media. So uh, what we had to do while I get transitioned and got moved and everything out here to California, we were replaying some of our more popular Just Thinking podcast episodes. And we had to do that for close to a couple of months uh, while I get settled out here. So I just want to thank all of our listeners and supporters, first of all, for your patience and understanding, because yeah. uh, you're making a coast to coast move is no joke. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of logistics involved with that. Uh, just a lot of things going on. So we're, we're selling, selling a house on one coast, buying a house on another coast. And you're doing those things simultaneously, plus you're having to pack and, um, you know, you're saying goodbye to people, uh, you know, family members, uh, church members, friends and relatives and things. So there's a lot of uh, emotions, logistics yeah. uh, and things involved with something like that. But uh, but here we are now close to the end of February. 
so it's taken a couple of months really for me to get situated whereby I can get back behind the mic with you and feel comfortable doing this as we've done it for the past year uh, and, and give the listeners uh, basically what they're familiar with. Uh, uh, so again, I just want to thank, first of all, you, Virgil and Dwayne, everyone with the bar network and uh, all of our listeners for, for just hanging in there with us and being patient. Well, I got settled out here uh, in California. So here we are and we're ready to rock. Man, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm glad you're settled in. Uh, saw, saw pictures of, of the, the space that you're, that you're recording from. I'm kind of envious, man. I don't, I don't have the same, same setup, man. I'm kind of, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of in an open, open air. I have to, I have to shoot you a picture and then send, show you where, where I record from. My, 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 uh, my, my family are incredibly, incredibly kind. Cause I kind of, I kind of take up our, our, our living room space. I got a corner right by the fireplace and kind of doing my thing, but my family is so kind, man. They, they kind of stay hidden and quiet and keep everything down when they know that we're about to mm-hmm. press record. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we, 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 uh, we, we make it, we make it work, but now man, glad to be back. Glad that you're in place. And, uh, man, one of the things that, that I, I so respect about, uh, about your thought process about the show and about where we're going is you wanted to make sure more, more than anything that we had a high quality product that we're putting together uh, in the way of the just thinking podcast. You don't want to just throw something together, slam something together and just say, Hey, let's, let's kind of wing it. But, uh, but, but man, you, you very thoughtfully and methodically kind of put together even tonight with what we're going to, what we're going to jump into. I took the time to think through that, put the, put the notes together and uh, we're back at it, man. So I'm glad to be back and uh, we'll just pick up right where we left off, man. Yeah, let's dive right in. And, and uh, for those of you who follow me and Virgil on social media, on Facebook and Twitter, we've been putting teasers out there as to the topic that we're going to talk about in this episode. But I want to sort of put a disclaimer out there for uh, the sake of uh, anyone who may be listening to this episode. And you may have young children around that you may want to either you know have them leave the space where you're listening to this or you may want to delay uh, listening to it yourself until you don't until you're not with those children with with those young people because we're going to be talking about a very uh sensitive and adult uh topic always from a, as always from a biblical perspective but it is not the kind of topic that you may want to have young children around to listen to so uh let me just put that uh that advisory out there but the subject that we're dealing with in this episode is sexual sin in the church mm. sexual sin in the church and i want to open uh, our conversation here, Virgil, with uh, something from Lewis Burkhoff's uh, Systematic Theology. Uh, I know you're a big Burkhoff fan. And mm-hmm. in the section of his uh, systematic titled Man in the State of Sin, he has two main sections. Number one, the origin of sin. And then number two, the essential character of sin. And I want to quote something from Burkhoff's Systematic Theology under that second heading the essential character of sin. Burkhoff writes this, quote, sin is one of the saddest, but also one of the most common phenomena of human life. It is a part of the common experience of mankind and therefore forces itself upon the attention of all those who do not deliberately close their eyes to the realities of human life. Some may for a time dream of the essential goodness of man and speak indulgently of those separate words and actions that do not measure up to the ethical standards of good society as mere foibles 
and weaknesses for which man is not responsible and which readily yield to corrective measures. But as time goes on, all measures of external reform fail and the suppression of one evil merely serves to release another. Such persons are inevitably disillusioned. They become conscious of the fact that they have merely been fighting the symptoms of some deep-seated malady and that they are com- and, and that they are confronted not merely with the problem of sins that is of separate sinful deeds but with the much greater and deeper problem of sin singular of an evil that is inherent in human nature of an evil that is inherent in human nature now speaking of sin being an evil that is inherent with human nature. I want to connect what we just read from Burkhoff's systematic theology with something from the Belgian confession. I'm going to quote article 15 from the Belgian confession on the doctrine of original sin, because I think this ties in very, very well, not only to what Burkhoff is saying in his systematic, but we also want to set the, the groundwork here, set the stage for what we're really dealing with as a root cause as it relates to the specific topic that we're talking about regarding sexual sin in the church. Article 15 from the Belgic Confession on the Doctrine of Original Sin says this, We believe that by the disobedience of Adam, original sin has been spread through the whole human race. It is a corruption of all nature, an inherited depravity which even infects small infants in their mother's womb and the root which produces in man every sort of sin. It is therefore so vile and enormous in God's sight that it is enough to condemn the human race, and it is not abolished or wholly uprooted even by baptism, seeing that sin constantly boils forth as through from a contaminated spring. Nevertheless, It is not imputed to God's children for their condemnation, but is forgiven by his grace and mercy, not to put them to sleep, but so that the awareness of this corruption might often make believers groan as they long to be set free from the body of this death. From the body, be set free from the body of this death. Now, why is Why was it? Why did I think anyway? It's important to cite Burkhoff and then follow that up with the Belgic Confession. Well, because the subject what we're dealing with on sexual sin in the church is not necessarily an issue of deeds. But where do these deeds come from? What's the root of these acts? What is the root of this sin, sexual sin? And conversely, what is the root of all sin? It's the same root. It's the same root. It's what Burkhoff says is an evil that is inherent in human nature. That's what the Belgic Confession argues has contaminated the whole human race. So we need that as context to sort of set the stage for what we're going to be talking about. Use that as a broader context to set the stage for what we're going to be talking about in a much more narrow context. Uh, So anything you want to add to that, Omaha, before we dive in here? I just just that man, it, you know, you go back, you begin looking at those confessions. You were reading that I was kind of walking through it 
uh, pulled it up really quickly and uh, and, and kind of read, lo- looked at it. And it, what you what you reminded me in just in taking the time to kind of read through that because you kind of told me a little bit uh, as we were getting prepared that you wanted to want to review the, the the Belgic Confession. I thought, man, as as you look at the thoughtfulness that the, that the writers of the Confession actually had as they began to really unpack, you know. The, the nature of sin. And I think it's important for us to go back and take a look at those kinds of things and be reminded of how pervasive sin actually is in the life of, of, of all of us as human beings um, at fallen in our state from, from, you know, from God. And uh, I just think that's important. I really was, was, was had to pause, man, as you were reading through that and think through uh, what was said, I'm glad that you did that. I'm glad that you took the time to do that because it really does set the stage for where you're going to go here in a bit. Yeah, I appreciate your thoughts on that, Omar. So let's go ahead and dive into this conversation on sexual sin uh, in the church. And what I want to do, uh, Omaha, I want to begin our discussion on sexual sin within the church by citing a verse of scripture that has absolutely nothing to do with sexual sin. Mm-hmm. Has nothing to do with the topic at all that we're going to be talking about. Now, I know that may sound strange, but I want to listen to just hang in there with me for a moment. Now, this, the text to which I'm referring. It's 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to look at verses 1 and 2b. 1 through 2b. 1 Peter 1 verses 1 through 2b, which is usual, I will quote from the non-Arminian Standard Bible translation. Let's <laughs> 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 do All it. Right. 1 Peter 1 verses 1 through 2b. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. Hmm. I just read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 2b. Now, Omaha, my brother and my friend, I must admit that I played a bit of a trick on our listeners just now and saying that that particular text had nothing to do with the subject matter we're dealing with on this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast. Now, I did that on purpose because what I want to do is give our listeners a quick lesson in expository Bible study. Come on, let's do now, it. Let me, first, let me first repeat the text. I'm going to repeat the text. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 2b. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. Now, earlier I said that this text had nothing to do with the topic we're discussing on sexual sin in the church, but it does. And I'll explain why. In the text I just read and reread, Peter makes a very, very important claim, and that is that those who are in Christ are chosen by the foreknowledge of God, not only to be sprinkled, that's the word Peter used, sprinkled with the blood of Christ, that is to be saved, but also to obey Jesus Christ. Right. And here's where the expository Bible study lesson comes in, Omaha. You see, when studying God's word, we need to understand that not everything is always going to be spelled out explicitly. Oftentimes God's principles, his precepts and commands are implicit. 
as is the case here in first Peter chapter one, verse two, with regard to sexual sin. So although this text in first Peter one, verse two, doesn't explicitly speak to the issue of sexual immorality in the sense that it doesn't actually mention terms like fornication or adultery or some other form of sexual immorality. Those sins are nonetheless addressed implicitly by virtue of the fact that, as Peter states, that believers are saved to obey Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. That's what he said there in 1 Peter 1, verse 2. They were saved to obey Jesus Christ. And obedience to Christ is all-encompassing. It's all-encompassing. That is, there is no area of our life where our obedience to Christ does not apply. And that includes in the area of sexual immorality. So from a standpoint of expository Bible study, the and the, and the topic that we're dealing here uh, with dealing with here in this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast on sexual sin in the church. The text that we just read in First Peter chapter one verse two doesn't need to say explicitly sexual sin, abstain from sexual sin, abstain from adultery, abstain from sexual immorality, because Peter in, in, incorporates that he inculcates that idea with those two words to obey, to obey. So, for example, someone may say, well, Daryl, I don't see the word abortion in the Bible. Right. Well, that's true. You don't see the word abortion in the Bible. But texts like Psalm 139 verses 13 through 16 clearly speak to the reality that the unborn are created in the image of God, not only before they are born, but before they're even conceived. Mm-hmm. Let me read that text here for a second. Psalm 139 verses 13 through 16. You formed me in my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. Now listen to this last part of this text, the last part of verse 16. And in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me when yet there was not one of them. Amen. Your In your book were written all the days that were ordained for me when yet, when yet there was not one of them. So what the psalmist is saying here is before I even lived, a day before I was even physically alive, before I was even conceived in my mother's womb, you had already ordained the life that I would live. You you had already taken care of that. You already saw in your mind, God, the life that I was going to live. So no, you won't see abortion in the Bible as a word. No, but the concept is there. The concept is there. So from an expository standpoint, what we need to be as Christians, especially as it relates to the subject we're talking about here on sexual sin in the church, we need to know how to study the word of God, to put texts together, to form a theology of the issue that we're dealing with. And in this case, it's sexual sin. So as I said before, sort of tongue in cheek, first Peter one, two, 
it doesn't explicitly deal with sexual sin, but yeah, it does deal with it. Because Peter says that we were chosen by the foreknowledge of God, not only to be saved, not only to be sprinkled with his blood, but to obey, but to obey. Okay. So again, going back to first Peter one, two, Peter makes it clear that not only are believers predestined to salvation by the foreknowledge of God, but having been saved, we are to obey him. Amen. Now, Peter's making it clear that both salvation and sanctification are equally important to God. It's not an either or proposition. It's both and. It's both and. Case in point, let's stay in 1 Peter. I'm going to read 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of underscoring the point that I'm trying to make here that in God's mind, in God's economy, both salvation and sanctification are equally important to him. So in 1 Peter 4, verses 1 through 3, we read this. Peter writes, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, which is to say, since Christ has died, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered has ceased from sin, that is, has ceased from sin as practice, as a habit, Mm -hmm. so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, that is the rest of your post-regenerate life on earth, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, such as sexual immorality, but for the will of God. For the time already past is enough for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. So in light of this text, in light of 1 Peter 4, verses 1 through 3, I was reminded of something John MacArthur said in his book, Christ's call to reform the church, which I, a book I highly recommend, by the way, and I don't say that just because I serve at grace to you now, but in MacArthur's book, Christ's call to reform the church, he says this, he says, we need to fight daily to break the habits of our former lives, training ourselves to hate our once cherished sins. Amen. Now that's that's exactly what Peter is saying here in First Peter four. Mm-hmm. He says, "So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God." That's exactly what MacArthur is saying here by saying we need to fight daily to break the habits of our former lives, training ourselves to hate our once cherished sins. Now, when, when an individual when an individual by God's grace comes to faith in Christ, and we know this from 1 Corinthians 1.30, that says by his doing, that is by God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus. When an individual by God's grace comes to faith in Christ, there is a line of demarcation that is drawn in that person's life. There's a line that's drawn. On one side of that line is their former pre-regenerate existence. It is what Peter described in 1 Peter 4, Verse three, as the time already passed, the text we just read. So that's one side of that line of demarcation. On the other side of that line is what Peter describes in that same text as the rest of the time in the flesh. So that's that line of demarcation. One side of that line, the time already passed. On the other side of that line is the rest of the time in the flesh. So what Peter's saying here in First Peter 4 is merely a recapitulation of what he previously stated in 1 Peter 1, 2. That believers are saved, that is, they are sprinkled with Christ's blood to obey, 
Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So that Greek verb obey, hypokoi, hypokoi denotes a willing, volitional obedience, compliance, or submission to God's commands. Willingly. A willing obedience, that's volitional obedience, willing obedience, compliance, or submission to God's commands. Any thoughts on this, Omaha? Yeah, absolutely. As you were as you were talking, I, I kind of, in my mind, went to a couple, couple of verses of Scripture, and, and that is uh, automatically kind of rolled over to Romans chapter 8, where I began thinking about the, the life and the Spirit. And, uh, and the fact that while we understand that there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ, as Paul is, is, is making the argument there, his, his line of argumentation is, is not, you know, you get, you, get a, you get a free pass just to have a free pass, but you are, you are now new. You, you're, you're new. You're not living according to the flesh anymore. You're living because of a, a regenerated heart that now desires the things of God, and as a result, you're living a life according to the Spirit. And the, the second verse that, that, uh, that kind of calls me to think while you were talking, I was thinking about 2 Corinthians um, chapter 5, verse 17. It's a pretty familiar passage for most people, which just says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You were talking about kind of kind of that old passing away and, and, mm-hmm. the, and the new coming. And so, I mean, those those are the two verses of Scripture that just kind of go in line with everything that you're that you're talking about, the life that we now live. Our desire is not to fulfill the lust of the flesh, but that we, to, uh, the, the point that MacArthur was making, we need to fight daily to break the habits of our former lives, mm-hmm. training ourselves mm-hmm. to hate our once cherished sins. That's, that's, the, that's the life of any believer. That's the life of every believer. It should be the life of every, every professed believer. Exactly right. And, and needless to say, I concur with you 100% on that, brother. Again, it's like what I said earlier. In God's view, sanctification and salvation are equally important. Matter of fact, if you go back and look at that text in 1 Peter 1, verse 2, he actually lists the obedience part first. Mm-hmm. He says to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. Mm-hmm. Now, in, in, in practice, the order is reversed, right? So we're saved by virtue of Christ's atoning death on the cross as a result you are walking in obedience in that new life that you just talked about. Mm-hmm. Okay. But Peter actually lists that order in the inverse to obey Jesus Christ. He says, and be sprinkled with his blood, but taken together, taken together first Peter one, verse two and first Peter four verses one through three presents a bit of a problem for the cheap grace antinomians out there who would argue that because salvation is by grace alone through faith alone, that obedience to Christ is of no significance or consequence to believers today. That's exactly what you're alluding to in your comments Absolutely. about Romans eight. Absolutely. You're exactly. So you got the antinomians out there who preach this sort of cheap grace that because you're right. saved now, it really doesn't matter how you live your life because mm-hmm. once saved, always saved. Right. Right. But, right. but I, but I digress. That's obviously not biblical but I digress. Maybe we can handle that on another episode of the Just Make It podcast. Cause you're going to drop, you're going to drop that bomb and then move on. I'm going to have to drop this bomb and move on, man, because <laughs> <laughs> I want to name names so bad, but that's I'm, not, no, I'm sure. I'm sure we will get, we will get off on that tangent, man, and never yeah, get yeah, back. Yeah. 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 I'm with you. But the point is this is, as I said earlier, sanctification and salvation are both equally important to mm-hmm. God. So the overarching point I'm making here 
in leveraging first Peter one verse two as foundational to our conversation about sexual sin in the church is that being saved isn't only about the next life and our place in heaven being secure in Christ. It's about life in the here and now. Yeah. It's about life in the here and now, not just about the next one. You see the same Jesus. This is what people need to understand. The same Jesus who saved us from the wrath of God expects us to obey him, to obey God today, right now. The same Jesus who saved you expects you to obey him. Peter said this in 1 Peter 1, verse 2, that you're saved to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. So that same Jesus who saved you expects you to obey him. This is Jesus himself said in Luke 6:46. This is one of the most profound rhetorical questions you'll find in all of scripture. And there are a lot of rhetorical questions in scripture, but this is probably one of the most profound, if not the most profound. In Luke 6:46, Jesus asked, "Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say?" So you can't just say Christ is Christ is your Lord. You can't even uh, confess that Jesus is God and leave out the sanctification part, leave out the obedience part. You just can't put emphasis on the salvation part and leave out the sanctification part. This is exactly what Jesus is saying here in Luke 6, 46. Mm-hmm. We're not just saved to sit back and chill until we either die and go to heaven or until Jesus returns. No, scripture is clear that those for whom Christ shed his blood are to obey him in this life, mm-hmm. not as payback for what Christ did on the cross, but out of love for his having done so. Absolutely. So at the root of sexual sin and other sins we commit, I would argue, really bottom line, fundamentally, at the heart of sexual sin is misplaced affections. Mm-hmm. Is misplaced affections. Mm-hmm. In other words, we love the sin more than we love the God who died for the sins we love. Yeah. We must yeah. plead with God. If that's you, if you're listening to this and that's you, if your affections are so misplaced and you know this, if you're listening to me right now, you know your own heart. Mm-hmm. You know that this is you. Mm-hmm. You love the sin more than you love the God who died for the sins that you love. Yeah. And if that's you, you must plead with God to reorient your affections. All of us must do this. We must plead with God to reorient our affections toward him. Now, let me jump in here and say a couple of things. One is, um, man, I think I think you were you were spot on as you were talking about, you know, why do you call me Lord and do not do what I say? John fourteen fifteen, where Jesus just says, if you love me, uh, you're going to keep my commands. And when we when we look at that at that truth, you know, it, it's one of those things where we can we can you know become antinomian. There are those who be, who become kind of antinomian. Hey, no law, no. In fact, you mm-hmm. hear you hear that teaching often in our mm-hmm. day and age with hyper grace Mm -hmm. um, and different aspects of, of teaching. But the reality is God transforms our heart in such a way that we desire 
to do what's right. right. You know, that's, right. that's, that's kind of key, I think. Yeah, that is key. That's absolutely key. And, and again, you know, just to reiterate the point that I made earlier, you know, when you talk about uh, the, the text that you just quoted in John 14, where Jesus says, if you love me, mm-hmm. right, love, he's referring to if you have affection for me. This is, mm-hmm. a, and I'm not talking about emotional, wishy-washy, yes, yes. Uh, subjective, changeable feelings. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking what I'm talking about is if you have that willful volitional uh bent to obey Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean when I say when your heart is turned towards obeying him above anything or anyone else that may be of importance or significance in your life. That's the point that I made earlier about how all sin including the sexual sin is an issue of misplaced affections. Bottom yeah. line, yeah. Bottom line, that's what's what's, what's that. What that is what the fundamental issue is, is that the affections of our heart in that moment are turned away from our love for Christ, away from Him, towards that sin that we love more than Him in that moment that we commit that sin. Right, right. And then we're all we're all guilty of that. Absolutely. The other the other thing that I, that I love about what you said there with regard to misplaced affections and having having a even us having a heart's desire to reorient our affections that that grace comes from him exactly that 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 very grace comes from him because you know more times than not given my own willful lustful desires and thoughts that would not be my desire my desire would be to fulfill the lust of the flesh and, and to and to go about engaging in whatever sexual sin or, or whatever sin, whether it's sexual or otherwise, uh, appeases the flesh rather than recognizing that there is indeed a war within. Uh, and that war is one where I have to yield to the very spirit of God rather than the flesh uh, that, that that I'm in that desires the, the, the wrong thing. So exactly right. You're you're actually alluding back to what we said at the very beginning when we quoted uh, Burkhoff from his systematic theology, that the root issue is that there is an evil within us that is inherent to human nature. Yeah, yeah. Sin is innate to us. So we, with sin being innate to us, it is absolutely impossible and inconceivable that we in and of ourselves are capable, not only capable, but as you said, would even have the desire to have our affections oriented toward God. We're exactly the opposite, which is why it was important to, for me anyway, to mention what Burkhoff was saying about original sin and then what the Belgian Confession was saying about original mm-hmm. sin, because that's mm-hmm. the that's the context in which we're talking about this. Mm-hmm. So we need to have our affections reoriented toward Christ, towards God. I think a great example of of, of, of this happening in Scripture is in the Old Testament in 1 Kings chapter 8. Uh, I'm going to read verses 56 through 61. First Kings chapter eight, verses 56 through 61. Just listen to these words with respect to God, our having a desire that God would reorient our affections toward him and away from the sins that we so often love more than we love him. First Kings eight, verses 56 through 61. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise 
which he promised through Moses, his servant. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us that he may, listen to this, listen to verse 58, that he may incline our hearts to himself. That's good. To walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his ordinances, which he commanded our fathers. Verse 59, and made these words of mine, which with which I have made supplication before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night. Mm. Here we go again, that he may maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel as each day requires, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God, there is no one else. And here's the kicker, verse 61. Let your heart therefore be wholly devoted to the Lord our God, Mm. to walk in his statutes and to keep his commandments as at this day. That's just a beautiful text Mm -hmm. that describes what it looks like to have a desire that the Lord would orient our hearts so that our affections are rooted in a desire to obey him. Again, this is all connected to our foundational text in 1 Peter 1, verse 2. But I love this text in 1 Kings 8, that he may incline our hearts to himself to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and statutes and his ordinances, which he commanded to our fathers. That's just a beautiful text there. It kind of reminds me of something uh, that Charles Spurgeon uh, said again. Going back to the fundamental uh, issue of, of, of the, given the topic that we're talking about here was sexual sin and a desire that we obey Christ in that area, in every area, yes. But we're specifically talking about this area of sexual sin. Listen to what Spurgeon said here. Spurgeon said, if Christ has died for me, ungodly as I am, without strength as I am, then I cannot live in sin any longer. I must arouse myself to love and serve him who has redeemed me. Mm. I cannot trifle with the evil that killed my best friend. Isn't that beautiful, Omaha? It is, yeah. I I cannot trifle with the evil that killed my best friend, that best friend being Christ. Spurgeon says, I cannot trifle with the evil that killed my best friend. I must be holy for his sake. How can I live in sin when he has died to save me from it? Mm. Spurgeon, as this goes back to what you were saying about Romans 8 verse, mm-hmm. this is exactly that. Yeah. Again, this is exactly my point why I keep hammering away at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. You were saved, Christian, not to just be saved, but you're saved to obey. Mm. You're saved to obey. This is exactly what Spurgeon is saying. Spurgeon asks, how can I live in sin? when he has died to save me from it. Mm-hmm. Another rhetorical question. Yeah. Rhetorical question being that the answer is intrinsic with the question itself. Right, right. And you already right. pointed out in Romans 8 where, where we so lo- you, we use that as a loophole so often. Right. There's right. not no condemnation. Right. No, that's not a loophole. No. Go ahead, no. Omaha. No, it, a couple of thoughts, man. One is absolutely it's not a loophole. It's it's what what Paul throughout, you know, the Romans is calling us to is 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 
a real relationship with Christ that we, we, we've, we thought we were righteous based upon the law. Uh, that, that absolutely failed. Um, you know, we, we're trying to figure out what this is. And this is, this is the, 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 the bottom line is that the just shall live by faith. Mm-hmm. And, and with regard to that, we have now relationship with God and what you're talking, the beauty of the beauty of the words that you're using in this space, whether it's first Kings eight, 57 through 61, or, um, or, or what you just quoted from Spurgeon, this is relationship language. Mm-hmm. This Amen. is, this mm-hmm. is, this is, this is the kind of language you use with someone with whom you have true relationship. This is mm-hmm. the, the beauty of this man is this, this reminds me of, of, of the kind of relationship that, that I would, that I would want to have with, with, a, with a spouse or with, a, with a loved one, but even much more because we're talking about the Christ who died for our sins. Amen. Exactly. And if we understand that level of relationship, it's going to change our complete view about desiring to do the wrong thing. I, I love what I love Spurgeon's words. I cannot trifle with the evil that killed my best friend. Bingo. I think I think you also you also see that language uh, with with David. You know the the, the God the mm-hmm. man who is after God's own heart when when he had mm-hmm. sinned with Bathsheba in, mm-hmm. in Psalm fifty one. You know, mm-hmm. Psalm fifty one mm-hmm. verse seven. Uh, he says, "Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean." Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness and let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out my iniquities. Verse 10 is huge. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Here, this is relationship language. Verse 11, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Verse 12, and I'll stop. It just says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Again, this, this is what, what you're calling us to with regard to this is rather than a, a relationship with the flesh, you're calling us to a relationship based upon the spirit of God to be united with Christ. Amen. Beautiful. I love that. I love that context of what you said, that relationship language. Mm-hmm. That's relationship language. I love that, Omaha. Now, with all this as background, pretty much everything we said to this point is essentially introduction. With all this as background, let me say that sexual immorality in the church has gone unaddressed for far too long. And our dealing with it on this issue, our dealing with this issue on this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast is not in any way intended to be an exhaustive treatment of the subject. So I want to repeat that. This episode, because this is just one episode, we have, what, a little over an hour maybe? This is not going to be an exhaustive treatment of this issue. Nevertheless, you know, having said that, now we cannot be naive, though, to the reality that it is a problem that's going on in the church. There are people listening to me right now who profess to be Christians, who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ, who are living in fornication. They're, li- they're having adulterous relationships. You know who you are. Mm-hmm. So we're not naive to that. But it's an issue that must be addressed by the church. It is a responsibility that is clearly articulated by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 5. Verses 12 and 13. Paul writes this. He says, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? 
do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges. That's why we titled this episode Sexual Sin in the Church. Because of this text right here in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 12 through 15. 12 and 13, rather. Mm-hmm. Paul says, for what? Again, there's another rhetorical question. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Nothing. I have, nothing. I have no reason to judge outsiders. Paul says, do you not judge those who are within the church? Well, unfortunately, the answer far too often is no. No, we're not judging those within church like we should. Right. The scripture is clear that the church has the God-ordained responsibility and obligation to deal with any and all sin that is incurred within the body of Christ. Now, a contemporary example of the church's failure to do this is the recent reports of sexual abuse within the Southern Baptist Convention, mm-hmm. within churches that are within the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, in response to these reports, on February 11th, 2019, just a couple weeks ago, Dr. R. Albert Moeller, who is president of the Southern Baptist Convention, published an article on his website at albertmoeller.com in which he acknowledged that, and I quote, quote, a heinous cloud hangs over the SBC. This unchecked pattern of sexual abuse comes like a deluge as scores of churches and denominational structures fail to protect its most vulnerable. Serial sex abusers move from one pulpit or place of ministry to the next and continue to carry out dreadful acts of violence. Ministers of the gospel entrusted with a sacred duty to care for the people of God in their churches breach that trust and defame the name of Christ by their actions, unquote. So what Moeller is saying that right there in his own words is that essentially there are churches within the SBC that have failed to comply with that apostolic precept in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 12 and 13. Mm-hmm. They have failed to judge those who are within the church. Sexual sin is destroying. And I want to make sure people hear this. Sexual sin is destroying, not just hurting not just causing problems, it's destroying marriages, it's destroying families, and it's destroying churches. Mm-hmm. But not only that, it's making liars of those who profess to be followers of Christ, but who in reality are engaging regularly in this kind of deliberately sinful behavior. The yeah. church, the church, that is Christians, because that's who composes the church is believers. Right, right. The church must regain a biblical conviction about sexual sin and deal with it accordingly and promptly, both individually and corporately. Okay, listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9 through 11, just to underscore what I just said, that the church needs to deal with this. We have got to regain a biblical conviction about sexual sin and deal with it accordingly and promptly. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9 through 11. Paul writes, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers and with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. 
But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother. If he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Mm-hmm. Right. So, again, we were talking about a quick expository, a quick lesson in expository Bible study. Well, here's another example. You can pair First Corinthians five verses nine through eleven with First Corinthians five verses twelve and thirteen, and you have a biblical theology of judging sin within the church. Yeah, totally throws those who say do not judge out the window. Right, right, right. Paul says, "No, you better be doing this," and he says, "Do it in First Corinthians five verses twelve and thirteen." But then a couple of verses before that, he gets even more specific. He says, you need to deal with any so-called brother right. if he's an immoral person. Right. Don't even eat with them. Okay. Don't even, no, throw him out. But we're not doing that. This is why people like Al Mohler had to make statements like he did. Right. Because we're not being obedient in the church to the apostolic command that Paul lays out in first Corinthians five. Because, mm-hmm. Oh no, 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 no. Don't judge now. Don't judge. Right. That, that, that's the, cl- unfortunately that's the, the climate that we're in where, where there's, there's no, there's no practice of church discipline for fear of, of, you know, legal ramifications. And so you, you end up getting something like that looks like what we have currently. I mean, really, I mean, so so to going back to what Paul said here, real quick, I just want to expand on this a little bit. First Corinthians five nine eleven, when he is, I mean, Paul makes this clear. He's he's like, now in case you misunderstood me, I'm not saying you should not associate with the immoral people in the world. No, those people I want you to hang out with. I want you to kick it with them. Who I don't want you to kick it with are these so called brothers who are in the church who are immoral. Now, when he says associate, he means to keep company with, to be intimate friends with. And when he says brother in the Greek, that word means a fellow believer. Mm -hmm. Paul says, no, don't have anything to do with them. Paul's use of this term so-called implies that no person who has truly been redeemed lives such a life as what he described in the text that I just read. Mm. It's really a blistering indictment against anyone who professes to be a follower of Christ, but who by their life is proving to be anything but. Right, right. See, our problem, Omaha, is that we've lost all conviction that Christ expects us to live holy lives. Absolutely. We've lost any conviction of that. Mm -hmm. All conviction is gone. Listen to what James, though, listen to what James says in James 127. He says, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and father is this to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. To keep oneself unstained by the world. Now, few sins cause as much damage and destruction as does sexual sin. There are few sins that you can name that causes much damage and destruction of sexual immorality. In fact, there's a soteriological aspect to the sin of sexual immorality mm-hmm. that, that doesn't apply to other sins. But sexual, sexual immorality, we're talking eternity here. 
And let me prove this in scripture. So when I say there's a soteriological aspect to the sin of sexual immorality, here's what I mean. First Corinthians chapter six, verses nine and 10. Paul asks this, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? You will not. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, sexual sexual immorality, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Now, Daryl didn't say that. Right. <clears throat> Paul, the apostle, said that. Right, right. Now, that's that's you, that's an important that, that's that's an that's an important distinction to make as as we get ready to come up on on a hard break for our urban family folks. I just definitely want to make people aware that that oftentimes we get pegged as the as the ones who are making judgments about these kinds mm-hmm, of issues when mm-hmm. the reality is that God does not whisper in Scripture about sexual sin. I see what you did. <laughs> you there. see what I did. You see what I did uh, <laughs> while we get ready to jump on a hard break. God, I see God, what you did. You what I did? Yeah. <laughs> I just want to be clear about that. God, Indeed. God does not, God does not whisper about this. It is throughout the pages of scripture. Uh, you, you know, uh, our, our, our friend, uh, Andrew Rappaport was giving you a hard time, man. I was, I, I got a chance to do a show with him. Uh, he was saying, man, oh. I, 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 I hear Daryl turning the, turning the pages in that Bible, man. Doesn't he have some logos? Or I said, no, nah, he, he probably does. But the reality is, man, he's going to turn the pages in the scripture, man. He wants, yeah, man, I, I gotta hear, I gotta hear this parchment, man. I gotta hear this parchment <laughs> turning. I gotta hear this parchment making noise. I do have logos, by the way, but right. I, I need to, no, I need to, I need to feel this parchment in my hand. Absolutely. I, Absolutely. This, this, this is, this is how I study the word. This is how I roll. Absolutely. Uh, certain times I may use logos when preparing uh, for uh, these episodes. Oh, but sure. Once we roll, nah, you, got you got yeah. it. You got it. Absolutely, man. So no, I want to I, I want to get you back. I want to get you back to where, where you were, because the reality is, man, every every I know we were kind of tongue in cheeking about the about the issue of, of of sexual sin and that that there's no there's no this is not a sin that God whispers about. Uh, he, no, not at he, all. He, he it, it it's it's everywhere. Every every page we turn, uh, there is there's an admonition. There's a there, there's a warning. There's there's Paul saying, "Listen, don't be like the pagans. Don't be this. Don't be listen. Sexual sin is a major major issue. And and if if the if the statistics are any indication, um, man, we we really within church circles particularly." Man, right. We, this, this is this is a this is a big issue that we need to we need to take much more seriously than we do, rather than kind of winking and 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 pressing on. So yes, and we're dealing with this issue both from an individual standpoint as well as a corporate standpoint. You know, I just alluded to a second ago. Uh, I took a quote that uh, Al, Al Mohler made from the statement that he released recently, um, apologizing for you know the the basically the lack of. Uh, 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 of enforcement of scripture around this issue of sexual abuse in SBC churches. And you know, what you, what you were saying just a second ago as well is that, man, we, we have just, we have totally developed this visage within evangelicalism of Christ as this sort of 
hippie kind of Jesus where all he talks about is love, 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 right. love, love. When you really read the gospels and you read what Jesus said, Jesus was a judge, man. He he Jesus does not play. And 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 the apostles who wrote the epistles on the authority of Christ mm-hmm. are reinforcing what Christ himself taught. Mm. So you look at the text I just read in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10, where I made the point that with regard to sexual sin, there's a soteriological dimension here that people need to be aware of. Because Paul said right at the beginning of verse 9 in 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Period. You're not. Mm-hmm. No, that's 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 an unarguable declarative. Right. You will not. If you're practicing sin, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let me continue in First Corinthians 10 in first Corinthians, rather, chapter 10. I'm going to read verses six through 12 on this again, just to drive home the point that Christ takes sexual sin in the church seriously. Listen to first Corinthians 10 verses six through 12. Now, these things happen as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also crave. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it was written, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did and 23,000 fell in one day. Mm. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happen to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Verse 12, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. So obedience is incredibly significant Mm -hmm. to those who profess to have been saved. Mm -hmm. Look at John 3.36. He who believes in the son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Same thing Paul just said. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. So scripture is clear. Scripture is clear that the person who makes a practice of sexual immorality will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, the reason Paul can say that, the reason he can say that is that the person who makes a practice of habitual sexual immorality or any sin for that matter cannot really claim to be regenerate. Right, right, bro, bro, that's 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 the key at the end of the day. At, that's at the, the key. End, at the end of the day, that that is key because the what should be happening in the life of the believer is a change of heart. And if we if if there's no if there's no expression of that change in so much as you you desire to continue to practice sexual immorality, you you've got to then, you know, go go to uh Second Corinthians 13, where you've got to ask yourself to test yourself to see mm-hmm. if if you are indeed in the faith. We've got to begin mm-hmm. asking ourselves questions. I mean, mm-hmm. any any time we as believers are are entering into some area in our lives, sexual or otherwise. I know this. This is a, a focus 
for us with regard to sexual sin. But man, if there's a habitual sin in my life, if I'm constantly gossiping and gossiping and, and I can't mm-hmm. stop, you know, if, mm-hmm. I, if I'm constantly lying, if I'm constantly using using uh, stories and, and 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 adding to the story and adding to just lying about stuff nonstop, embellishing stuff, yeah, embellishing stories, man. And and I mean, whatever whatever that looks like for you, man, you at some point. You've got to cry out. I love what you said earlier, man, uh, as we were talking tonight about you were talking about misplaced affections. You were talking about that we need to plead with God to reorient our affections toward him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and and I think I think we I think we need to reiterate that again in this space, because the reality is if if, if we have a, every desire to just ignore God's direct command to avoid sexual immorality. Right to abstain from from being sexually immoral, to to repent of sexual immorality, mm-hmm. and 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 we don't. We've got to we've got to stop and ask ourselves some questions. Are we really Bingo. saved, man? Bingo. Bingo. Are we exactly. really saved? Have has God really done a work in our heart that causes us <clears throat> to be empowered to say no to sin? We have a tendency, man, to to want to apply the the forgiveness of God. For the purpose of of say, hey man, I've sinned. Yes, I, 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 God, God's covered my sin, but man, that sacrifice always also provided the empowerment over sin, right? And if, right. if, Great if, point. if, that's, if that's not evident in our lives, man, we've got to stop and ask some questions. We really do. Well, that's what we said, man, back when we quoted the Belgian Confession. Right. It says, nevertheless, it is not imputed to God's children for their condemnation. Right. But it's forgiven by his grace and mercy not to put them to sleep, but so that the awareness of this corruption might often make believers groan Mm. as they long to be set free from the body of this death. So the question is, if you're one, just going back to your point, man, if I could dovetail on that for a second, Mm -hmm. if if you're listening to this, you claim to be a a Christian, you claim to be regenerate, Mm -hmm. you claim to be born again, and you're right now today involved in a habitual sin ask yourself do you groan to be free oh that's good bro from the body of that death yeah that paul talks about do you groan to be free from that or do you not that's the question see and only you can answer that question honestly honestly ask yourself do you groan to be free from that sin you see, I tweeted something the other day that, and 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 I say I'm saying this to the men out there, but but women as well, yeah, because it takes two to tango. But especially men, if you're involved in an adulterous relationship, if you're viewing pornography on the low, and you think you're getting away with this, you think you're you're doing this in secret. Let me just remind you that there your secret sins aren't as secret as you think. They're not as secret as you think. Listen to Proverbs 15.3. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. Hmm. Eyes of the Lord are in every place. So no, your secret sin, brother, sister, is not secret at all. Mm-hmm. But you have to ask yourself, do you groan to be free from that? Yeah. So again, the reason Paul can say that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God is because anyone who makes that claim to be rightless, to be righteous, rather to be regenerate, 
to be born again, they cannot rightly make that claim if you're involved in habitual sin Mm -hmm. as a practice. Listen to what John says in 1 John 3, verse 9. 1 John 3, 9. No one who is born of God practices sin Mm -hmm. because his seed, that is the Holy Spirit, to your point earlier, verse, because his seed, the Holy Spirit, abides in him. Mm-hmm. And he cannot sin habitually. Mm-hmm. He cannot practice sin because he is born of God. Yeah. Now, yeah, we all sin. But if you're practicing sin, mm-hmm. you're not born again. You're I, not- I, I, want, I want to add to that, man, because I, I, I know I talk to a lot of uh, young men. I, I, in fact, there's a, a book by, by uh, Heath Lambert that I use when I talk to men about sexual purity called Finally Free. A uh, great book uh, that that I that I encourage uh, brothers to to take a look at and read. Oftentimes, I'll I'll talk to you know, young men and say, "Hey, you know, where, where are you at?" That maybe they're they're struggling with an issue of pornography and they're trying to they're trying to break free of that. And and, and you you can find out really quickly those who are very serious about about that issue, whether or not they. Um, they they take the grace of God for granted in that you know what I'm going to continue doing this uh, because I like it and I enjoy it and I know that at the end of the day God's got to forgive me. I mean they'll they'll even they'll even go so far as to wow. as to yeah bro they they'll even go so far as to use that kind of language and it's at that point that I've got to bring them to to texts of scripture like the one you just you just read in in First John three nine. Or 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 even First Corinthians six nine and and just tell them listen the, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God for you to believe and it, it it's it's emblematic of the of the of the of the quote unquote Christian culture I put that in air quotes mm-hmm. the the Christian mm-hmm. culture that we currently live in where grace is so cheap and it's so it's so free that that we could we could ignore a a, a desire on the part of the believer to to want to live holy. Uh, we could say, hey, you know what? So what? You don't want to live holy. If you've prayed a prayer, if you've if you you know shaken a preacher's hand, you're you're good to go, and uh, you know everything's going to be all right. Even though you're continuing in this kind of kind of sinful behavior, there's, there's the scripture knows nothing of that. It really doesn't. Doesn't know a thing about of that. No, not at all. Not at all. So again, First John three three nine. The no one who is born of God practices sin. So the question then becomes. What does it mean to be born of God? Put mm-hmm. that phrase in quotes. That's what good. does it mean to be born of God? Mm-hmm. If no one who is born of God practices sin, then the natural question becomes, what does it mean to be born of God? Well, the answer of that question is found in John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1, mm-hmm. verses 12 and 13. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God even to those who believe on his name, who were born not of blood nor of the will of flesh, so not physically born, mm-hmm. but who are born or, or not of the will of man, but of God. Mm-hmm. That's what it means to be born of God, that you've been born by the Holy Spirit of God. See, this is the verse I go to when someone says to me, well, you know, we're all God's children. <laughs> right, well, no, right. no, we're, no, no, we're not. Right. No. We're all God's creation. But only those who have been born of God, who are regenerate, born again, are his children. John 1, verses 12 and 13 makes that clear. Mm-hmm. So on this issue of sexual sin, 
people need to understand there are no asterisks in scripture. There are no asterisks. Mm -hmm. There's no fine print. There's no loopholes. You cannot claim to be saved while living a life of deliberate, habitual, unrepentant sin. Mm-hmm. Now I'm convinced at the bottom of this matter of sexual sin in the church is an absence of any appreciation for the holiness of God. Any we, we, we have lost almost any appreciation for the holiness of God and his mandate that his people live holy and righteous lives. Mm-hmm. And to something you said earlier, Omaha, I want to quote R.C. Sproul, the late Dr. R.C. Sproul. Sproul said this. He said, we sin because it's pleasurable. The enticement of sin is that we think it will make us happy. Mm-hmm. We think it will give us joy and personal fulfillment, but it merely gives us guilt, which undermines and destroys authentic joy. That's huge, bro. That's huge. You want to add something to that, Omaha? I was, I just, I'm just curious. If anything you want to add, especially as it relates to what you just said about how you'd like to talk to young men yeah. about this issue. Yeah, that that that's huge. At the end of the day, man, that, that's that's the allure of what you know, what of what what men engage in with, whether it's pornography, whether it's you know, an illicit affair, whether it, the the thought is that they're a getting away with something, and and then we do it. Um, because it's pleasurable thinking that ultimately it's going to, our hope is that it provides joy. It's just like drugs. It's like any idol. Our hope is that it provides joy, but at the end of the day, it only provides guilt. It may be pleasing in the moment, but at the end of the day, what we're seeking is joy and fulfillment. And what we get is absolute guilt and destruction as, as a result. And so that, that's just how that works. Amen. Amen. I mean, listen, let, and let me get, let me just keep it real here because I, we, 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 uh, we voiced a parental advisory at the beginning of this episode. And I hope, I hope listeners are to hear, are adhering to that. But from some research I've done, uh, I found out that the average sexual encounter, the actual physical, physical sexual encounter lasts about eight minutes. Mm-hmm. Now, for those of you who are, are living in this particular sin, do you really want to risk eternity for right. eight minutes? Right, right, right. Of, of physical pleasure? Right. Do you really want to risk that? Now, I'm, I'm just talking to folks in the church who claim to be born again believers. Right. Do you really want to, because we pointed out earlier now, you, you're, you're, there's a soteriological, a salvation uh, issue here with this right. particular sin. Do you want to risk eternity? For eight minutes, right, man. The the, rea- the reality is, most people that are involved in in that kind of sin habitually don't believe the word of God. Bingo. They don't. They don't. They don't. And and, and they so so they so even even with the warning, they're thinking, yeah, but God will. But again, it's it's the it's the thought process that that grace is cheap. And that I, you know, I, I can get in and out of this at will. They, they don't, they don't have a high uh-huh. regard for scripture. Mm-hmm. We, we, we don't, we don't, we don't subscribe to the very holiness of God. We have no thought process for the holiness of God. Anytime, anytime, man, I find myself in a, in a pattern of sin. I actually, I actually dust off some old RC Sproul's holiness of God and just mm-hmm. kind of re, you know, just refresh my mind about God's holiness. And, and, and I, and I think those are the kinds of things that we have got to do 
to, to have a clear understanding that God's word is true and God is holy and, and he's calling us as his people to be holy. And, and it's only, I go back to what you said earlier, man, about, about calling out to God and pleading with God to reorient our affection toward Amen. Him. That is that is the constant. That should be our, as believers. That should be our constant cry. Because at the end of the day, man, you know, John Calvin said it best that the heart of man is a factory of idols, a Amen. factory of idols. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna figure out a way to to justify our behavior in some way. Or, or to overlook our sin, and we absolutely cannot for the very reason that you just laid out. Man, I so appreciate you saying that. You're absolutely right. It's, it's, it's an affections issue. Mm-hmm. It's an affections issue. Our affections are, reach, re, are oriented away from God and towards the sin that we love more than him. Mm-hmm. See, when it comes to sexual sin in the church, the question we need to consider it's not first and foremost a matter of what, but who. This is exactly what you were talking about a second ago, Omaha. And what I mean by that is that, you know, who are you? Who are you? Yes. Person who's listening to this. Who are you? Are you really a Christian? Yeah, that's, that's the question. That right there is the question. Are you really a Christian? Are you truly a follower of Christ? One who has been born of God, as we just explained from from John 1, verses 12 and 13. Are you really one who has been born of God? Or is your Christianity, I put that in air quotes, is your Christianity just a mirage, a, a phantasm? Are you just one of those pretend Christians who, like the television commercial, appear to be Christian on the outside, only to find out that all you did was stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. <laughs> Are you one of those Holiday Inn Express Christians? Right. Or have you truly, has your heart truly been regenerated so that your affections are toward obeying God? You're not content that you were sprinkled with his blood, as Peter said, but you understand that I was saved to obey him. I want to quote Dr. John Street, who teaches, I think he has the uh, biblical counseling department at uh, the Master's Seminary. Mm. Uh, John Street just published a book, which I highly recommend. uh, It's titled Passions of the Heart. Biblical counsel for stubborn sexual sins. I definitely, I want to, yeah, definitely got to get that. Mm -hmm. Uh, any pastor, biblical counselor out there, you must add Dr. Street's book to your uh resources. Mm -hmm. Uh, again, it's Passions of the Heart, Biblical Counsel for Stubborn Sexual Sins. I'm going to quote page 18 where Dr. Street says this He says, What is the nature of the person who continues to harbor known? evil desires in his heart, even though he claims to be a Christian. Given the character of God and his sustained sanctifying work in the believer's life, such a person has good reason to question whether he is a genuine believer. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Street cites 2 Corinthians thirteen five. Mm-hmm. Dr. Street continues, a true believer who persists with lustful desires in the heart will be miserable under the chastening hand of God. Mm -hmm. 
This discipline is intended to open his eyes to the truth of his hidden heart desires. This goes back to what you quoted earlier from Psalm 51. Yeah. Omaha created me a clean heart. Yes. Dr. Street says this discipline from God is intended to open his eyes to the truth of his hidden heart desires and to lead him to repentance and a purging of those desires once and for all from his life. Wow. 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 Bro, that, that, that right there is, is a huge statement. I mean, in light of all that, that's going on right now in the culture in different States where, where people are dealing with, uh, with, uh, issues at, at, in, in politics and laws that are trying to be made to deal with, with conversion therapy and whether or not mm-hmm. people can, you know, I mean, just all kinds of, mm-hmm. all kinds of issues related to that, that, that real hope comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Amen. And, and, and the proclamation of the God, the gospel actually taking root in the life and heart of an individual. Amen. The gospel is still, just to, to your point and what you just said, Omaha, the gospel is still the power of God mm-hmm. under salvation. It's still mm-hmm. the power. It's still the dunamis, the, the dynamite mm-hmm. of God under mm-hmm. salvation. The gospel is still that. But as you said earlier, Omaha, we don't believe that anymore. We don't. We don't, we don't believe it. We, we would rather go buy a book off a shelf somewhere as opposed to turn to what scripture already says. Right. There's no issue that anyone faces in this life that is not covered in this book. Mm-hmm. None. There is no issue you face in life where God's word does not address it, but we don't believe it. We don't believe the word of God anymore. That's the bottom line. You're absolutely right, Omaha. We don't believe it anymore. But scripture is clear here. Mm -hmm. If you claim the name of Christ, you have been saved to obey him. Mm -hmm. And that obedience means fleeing sexual immorality. Yeah. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 3, 4, 3, sorry, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Mm-hmm. That is that you, we got two personal pronouns there, back to back, your and you. So you can read this text and, and, and insert your own name here. Mm-hmm. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality. Mm-hmm. You. That's your responsibility. People looking for the will of God. People looking for the will of God. It's right there. There you go. Spelled <laughs> out explicitly. Very, very clear. This is the will of God. Your sanctification. That is that you abstain. Again, there we have. And he's talking to believers here. Mm-hmm. So again, going back to this is another example of an expository look at this text. Because he's talking to believers, we can argue that here we go again, as in First Peter 1, we have an example here where God puts salvation and sanctification on the same level. Mm-hmm. He's talking to you and your, that is believers who have been saved. Then you have the word sanctification here explicitly spelled out, that you abstain from sexual immorality. 
Now, I want to close this episode with an encouragement from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17, 17 through 24. And before I read this text again, I want to remind our you listeners say, that we... Ephesians? Or yeah, we Ephesians. Okay, Ephesians. Yeah, we're going to go to Ephesians. We're going to go to Ephesians 4. We're going to go to Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 24. But before I read this text, I want to remind our listeners that, that we, again, we titled this episode Sexual Sin in the Church for a reason. That's a deliberate title because we're talking to believers. We're talking mm-hmm. to at least professed believers, people who profess to be believers. That's who we're talking to. As Paul says, listen, we expect the world to do what they do. Mm-hmm. We expect the world to practice sin. That's what mm-hmm. it does. That's why it's called the world as distinct from the church. Yeah. But if, but if you profess to be a believer, if you say that you've been regenerated, you've been born of God, John 1, you have no excuse for living like this. None. And listen to what Paul says, just to underscore that. And we're going to close with this. Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 24. So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. What does that remind you of, Omaha? It reminds you of 1 Peter 4 mm-hmm. that we read earlier. Peter said, the time already passed. Was time enough for you to indulge in the desires of the flesh? Right. Here's another line of demarcation. We call that a line of demarcation in 1 Peter 4. Here's another one in Ephesians 4. So I say, so this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer. See, that phrase, no longer, that's that line of demarcation right there that I talked about. No longer. Just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the what? The practice mm-hmm. for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But here's the kicker in verse 20. But you, Christian, did not learn Christ in this way. Mm-hmm. That is the gospel that you heard. It's not the gospel that says you can believe Christ and still live like an unbeliever. You didn't learn Christ that way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. Verse 22, that in reference to your former manner of life, see, there's another line of demarcation. Yeah, that's good. In reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Put on the new self Mm -hmm. if you profess to be a Christian. But as we established through scripture in this episode, if you're living in habitual, unrepentant, known, deliberate sin, you need to check whether you're saved. Absolutely. Because I doubt you are. 
And I say that on, 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 the, on the basis of scripture. This right. is not Daryl's own subjective opinion. That's good, Daryl. But we've gone through enough scriptures in this episode to be able to say, yeah, you need to, you need to check yourself. Yeah. I mean, if, if you care at all about, about your walk, if you care at all about the grace of God, if you care at all about eternity, you, you're, you're going to test yourself. You're going to ask the question, am I, am I true? If, if, if you're involved in habitual, the habitual practice of sexual sin, you, you've got, and, and, and have a heart that cares at all. You're going to stop and ask yourself that question. If you're, if your natural inclination is all oh, Daryl doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, they, they, they're just talking. I can keep doing what I'm doing. I, I would argue you're not saved. You're not saved. Yeah, I would definitely, you're not. And again, I'm going to say it again. Are you willing to risk eight minutes? Mm-mm. Are you willing to risk eternity? Which is a lot longer than eight minutes. Are you willing to risk your eternal destiny for eight minutes? Second Corinthians 13, five, I'll close with this. Just again, I, I just want to make sure that scripture is the basis for our arguments here. Uh, but you know, we, we know haters going to hate, right? Right. Omaha. I mean, somebody's <laughs> going to find something sure. uh, in this episode. So to complain about. Sure. But Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. He says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail the test. Mm -hmm. And I'm out. Yep. That's it. Appreciate y'all listening. And this is definitely a, a huge episode for you hopefully it whets your appetites for more come back join us again next week for another edition of the just thinking broadcast take care god bless truth and fire the podcast is brought to you by truthandfire.com where we explore faith and pop culture from a witty christian perspective each episode we pick up where our blog content leaves off we answer some of your most pressing questions, respond to reader feedback, and address our critics where warranted and appropriate. So head on over to truthandfire.com forward slash the podcast and subscribe on the podcast app of your choice. Oh, and I'm your host, Vérité et Feu.